Well, God bless you guys. Good morning. So good to see you here. And um, let me just invite you. I know I maybe say this uh, a little bit or a lot, is if you've been missing any of this, I, I, I genuinely, uh, and if I've oversold other message series, then I apologize. But I don't know that probably in uh, 15 years as lead pastor here, has there ever been a series more important than this one? So if you've missed any of them, uh, I really do uh, encourage you strongly to go back and watch from the beginning. You've only missed uh, two so far, and there's going to be five of this series. And uh, today is super important. The next two are super important as well. And so my, my real encouragement is be here for these because I think there's something really unique and kind of magical that happens when we're together for these conversations, right? So every subscription that you have um, online or otherwise, uh, every social media platform you use, every credit card you have in your wallet, every uh, internet provider or TV provider or um, membership at Costco or Sam's, uh, every bank account that you've ever opened, any other service that you've ever had um, has what are called terms and conditions. And you don't read those, I don't read those, because they're just pages and pages of what we think is just legalese, but you sign it anyway, you agree to those because you are required to agree to those to use their service. And they want you to know this is what it means to participate in this. We have all of these rights, and this is how we limit your rights, but we don't care because we want uh, to do that. And and the... uh, Other thing that I'm sure you've noticed is you get emails frequently that says an update to our terms and conditions, right? And that is because on an ongoing basis, they are constantly manipulating, editing, adding on, taking away, modifying their terms and conditions that's most beneficial to them, most profitable to them, and most controlling and limiting to you. And um, you probably get frustrated with that because at some point you learn that all the terms and conditions are written in their favor, right? And we don't like when they change all the time because if they change, they can't be trusted because there's not something where you get into an agreement, it just stays that agreement. Um, But the reality is maybe you don't feel deeply affected enough by that to actually do anything about it. Um, The... uh, case in which um, we, we start becoming troubled is when somebody does take the time to actually read the terms and conditions, which I'm thankful there are people out there. The moment that update comes out, there's this group of nerds in a basement, I guess, somewhere that are reading that, and they recently caught, probably you've heard about this, uh, they recently caught PayPal changing their terms and conditions, who also own Venmo, by the way changing their terms and conditions so that they can take $2,500 per offense out of any business's account that is um, guilty of spreading misinformation. And they really didn't define what misinformation was or what that looked like. And thankfully, somebody read it, and they put them on blast, as the young folks say these days. And everybody found out about it, and then PayPal came out, rescinded that, said we won't do that, and they apologized. But the only reason they did that was because sort of they got caught. Someone actually read the terms and conditions. And so 
that doesn't bode well for our trusting of companies, right? Because they can do things like that. And if someone didn't read it, they would get caught. But just as maybe frustrating as that is when they're doing that, it's just as frustrating to watch us when we think that we can modify or edit terms and conditions that have been set in place that we don't have the power to do. My favorite is, and this happens maybe once or twice a year, is when uh, it's the Facebook copyright uh, thing. And you'll know exactly what I mean. Um, Everybody cuts and pastes it and posts it on their page as a legal disclaimer to Facebook. We're using Facebook to tell Facebook what they can and can't do. And here's what it always says. In response to the new Facebook guidelines, I hereby declare that my copyright is attached to all my personal details, illustrations, comics, paintings, professional photos and videos, etc. As a result of the Burner Convention, there is no Burner Convention, it's a Burna Convention, for commercial use of above, the above written consent is needed at all times. And they'll say, Post this so that Facebook cannot own the copyright to your stuff because they've just said they own the copyright to your stuff. Here's the deal. Facebook can't own your stuff. That's never been in their terms and conditions. But what it does say is this. You grant Facebook, this is actual wording from the website, you grant Facebook permission to use, distribute, and share the things you post subject to the terms and applicable privacy settings. So you signed that agreement. To move forward, you had to have consented to that. And you posting something on your Facebook page doesn't modify that at all. No attorney goes, well, they got you, Facebook. I mean, they, they cut and pasted and they posted it on there. Therefore, your honor, I move to turn over all the assets of Facebook to this person because they, if it was that easy, If just saying something changed the terms, if just us doing our own fixes to the terms and conditions that we don't like, if that actually worked, I would just go to my mortgage company's website and say, hereby my mortgage ended today, and therefore I own my home completely. Uh, No take-backsies, right? And uh, (laughs) times infinity, 5,000. I would, there'd be a lot of things that I would change in my life uh, if it was that easy. Um, And in our conversation about sin and grace, there are terms and conditions that are implicitly, clearly set forth. And in order for you and I to have a relationship, and in our conversation today, especially with grace, we are required to accept grace as it is described in its terms and conditions, set forth in God's word. That is how you and I must have relationship with that. Because God is the origin, the author, the presenter, the manager of grace. And it's his terms and conditions. And you might be surprised to find out that you don't want any other terms and conditions rather than the one he set forth. But here's the problem. You and I don't always read the fine print. We don't always know what God's word says about the things that we say we're living out 
in our relationship with Christ. And instead, what we do is we kind of mindlessly cut and paste what somebody like me says from a platform or what you've heard all your life or what church you grew up in, and you let them put something out about, and hereby I do this, and this is the terms and conditions, and make sure to apply this to your life. And we go, oh, okay, this person sounds like they know what they're talking about. And we cut and paste it, and we apply it to our lives. And I have to tell you that we walk through our lives believing the wrong thing about sin, the wrong thing about grace, and then we miss out on the agreement that God made with us through the cross, and we miss the benefits of living a life under the terms and conditions that God set forth. I would tell you, don't ever trust Facebook. I tell my kids all the time, never trust the government, always trust God. Never trust the government, always trust God. I would say the same about almost everything. Never trust a business, always trust God. Because I've never seen anyone other than God do all that God's done for us and expect literally nothing in return. Every agreement you've ever had with anyone, it's reciprocal. If you're sitting next to your spouse, you did not go into that covenant with one of you saying, I'll carry all the weight. I'll do it all. I'll give all the love. You have to do nothing at all. You don't have to contribute any intimacy or trust or communication at all. You have to do nothing in this relationship. I'll do everything in this relationship. That's how relationships end badly. In a banking agreement, in your mortgage agreement, in your car payment, in your cell phone, everything is reciprocal. You have to pay, and in return, they give you something for that in return. So I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at the terms and conditions God set forth about grace. Listen to what Romans 6, 12 through 14 says. It says, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful natures. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Right out of the gate, it says you're no longer required to keep the rules of sin, which we know that law exposes sin. Law is in place so that we can see how sinful we are. You no longer live under the heaviness of that. You no longer have to do. You now just have to receive. You now get to live in freedom. Slavery has its terms and conditions. You must do this. You must do what the slave master says. This says you now live in the freedom of Christ. I like the way that the contemporary English version says 614, Romans 614. It says, don't let sin keep ruling your lives. You are ruled by God's undeserved grace and not by the law. And so now I want to tell you what it looks like to be ruled by grace. Okay? It means that we're accepting the terms and conditions. And just like the past couple of weeks, we get through it all, we get through it all. And if we don't, I'd rather have a good conversation and you leave here feeling like you connected with the mind of God on grace than for us to have gotten to fill in all of our fill-ins. Does that make sense? So accepting God's grace requires that, number one, that at no point 
does grace ever need my help? At no point does grace ever need my help. I want you to carry each one of these things as if it's a declared and accepted truth in your life. Maybe the conversation is not as important as what you do with this when you leave. So I've used this passage countless times, um, but I think it's super important to use right here because it solidifies how absolutely distant we are and unconnected we are to having anything to do with facilitating grace in our life. Okay, Romans 8, uh, or sorry, uh, Romans um, 5, 8, and 10 says this. But God shows us his great love for us in this way, that Christ died for us while we were sinners. And while we were God's enemies, he made us his friends through the death of his son. That means when we were incapable of doing anything righteous, of anything good at all, we were standing as enemies of God. There was no pathway to even behaving in a good way. We were immersed and covered and, and, and we were indulgent in our sin. We were, we were Cretans and pagans and we were enemies of God. That is when God extended grace to us. We could not have possibly been responsible on any level other than sinning to get grace. So I want you to know this. Your responsibility for getting grace in your life ends with your sin. The ugliness of your life is what invited God's sin into your life. I want you to let that sink in for a second. Because it's going to help you undo any notion whatsoever that you are responsible for eliciting, for triggering, for stirring, for getting God's grace in your life by anything that you do. God didn't give it to you because you did anything to invite it other than you were depraved in sin. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, probably... A couple of my favorite verses here. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Talk about that in just a second. And you can't take credit for this because it's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it for we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us all along. The only participation whatsoever that you have in grace existing in you is that you recognized what God did for you. You just go, oh, I believe that. I accept that. So I want you to hear this. The limit of grace in your life is the limit of your ability to accept God's grace on his terms and conditions. Meaning the grace is there in its fullness, but you don't access all of that. We have a program. It's a kind of a church management program that we use in the office. Uh, and it does a ton of things, but we don't really do all the things it does. And I'm, I'm kind of constantly saying we need to really figure this out because I know this does so much more. 
And we're, we're sort of paying all this money for this, and, and it could benefit us in a dozen different ways, but I, I feel frustrated that we don't use it to its fullest potential. Think of every relationship in your life. Is your marriage at its fullest potential? Well, who's responsible to bring your marriage to its fullest potential? Is there like a, a marriage store you haven't visited yet? Is there a, a marriage program you haven't downloaded? No, it's you and your spouse that are 100% responsible for limiting how good that marriage could be. So we receive grace only because we believe, but it's by his grace. Listen to how Romans 2, 20 through 24 says it. For no one can ever be made right. Listen to this. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. In other words, following all the rules, even if you followed it perfectly, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. Because the Bible told us that if you're guilty in one respect of the law, you're guilty in all the law. And everyone has failed to keep the laws of God. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophecies long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yes, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Did you see all that God does and all that we don't do? He just said, place your faith in what I've already done for you. There's nothing you can do. And notice that you can't be righteous by following the law and there is no new law to follow. So if the old law is impotent to bring righteousness out of you and there is no new law to follow, what are we to do with ourselves? How can we be righteous then? By believing in the grace that came to us through the blood of Christ on the cross. That's it. You simply can't do anything. Listen, I want you to hear this. You are, this is probably worth writing down because it's not in your notes. We are forgiven by the purity of what God did for us not by the purity of what we can do ourselves. You can't be pure enough to earn grace or righteousness or mercy or forgiveness. So we are saved by, we have grace by the purity, the whole purity of what God, and listen, we're forgiven completely because God's grace is complete even when our own repentance is incomplete. Because people say, well, what if I keep struggling with the same sin over and over and over again? Your repentance isn't the condition by which you get grace. Grace and forgiveness are already there. Repentance is the act of turning away from, changing course, right? It's moving away from, and you will never probably get to a point where you are fully, purely repentant, where you are fully turned from your sin. Therefore, grace is perfectly complete even when your repentance isn't complete. 
And I know wheels are spinning because, man, we just so badly need for us to have some responsibility in this. We just so badly need to hold on to the fact that we must control some of this. But can I tell you, the Bible says that your good works or your righteousness didn't qualify you for God's grace. Therefore, your bad works, your unrighteousness can't disqualify you from God's grace. That's right. We get that. If you couldn't do anything to get it, then you can't do anything to get rid of it. Accepting God's grace requires that I accept that grace never needs add-ons, editing, or modifications. Add-ons, editing, or modifications. Romans 6.21 says this, or maybe 5.21, I don't know what it is. Jared corrected one of them. I don't know. Look it up in your own Bible, all right? (laughs) So just as sin ruled over all the people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God, and listen, giving us right standing with God, that's present, and resulting in eternal life through uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So presently and in the future, God has used his grace to remove us from the requirement of following the law. We no longer live under the law which only brings death because you would never be able to fulfill the law So those were the rules you once lived by, and the new rules are this. God has taken care of everything that you've ever done, everything that you're doing now, and everything that you ever will do. The law always brought death, disobedience to the law, disobedience to God on any level brings death. And we talked about this, it means death on any level, death in what should have been. Adam and Eve didn't die in that moment, they were cast out of the garden. They were not allowed to experience the perfection that was saved for obedience. So they were disconnected from the life they were meant to live. It was death to the dream of paradise. And then sin began to corrupt everything, brother to brother relationship and parent to child relationship and man to God relationship. Everything began to decay and that's the death that happens. So when grace enters the picture, it says we now live under that law and that begins to restore life to everything that we're doing. It begins to restore life to relationships with each other, with our family, with God. We begin to live under a new set of rules. Now we live under the rule or the rules of grace. And I want you to hear this. You don't have the power or the permission to try to change those rules. Now, we, you might think, well, I mean, is anybody trying to change the rules of grace? Yes, it's what we've been busying ourselves with as a church for the last 2,000 years. Here's why, because on some level, we just think that it, it's too good to be true. There must be more that we should be doing. Listen to Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. It says this, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the cross or the altar of the cross, we are free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all of our misdeeds and not just barely free either, but abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He said, 
it all before us in Christ, a long-range plan from eons and eons ago in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven and everything on planet earth. I want you to listen to this. If you are free, then there are no laws. You are free from that. And I, oh, I can feel sphincters clinching right now. You're so afraid that people are going to go hog wild and start having adulterous affairs and start robbing banks and start, because man, if we just live under this freedom, you're thinking, I know that's what it says, but you can't actually mean that if I just go out of here and start sinning like crazy that I still qualify for grace, that I still get all of God's grace, there's no limits to God's grace. It doesn't change anything. I just keep getting endless grace. That's exactly what I'm saying. I will tell you, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Listen, we love to hang on to some set of rules and values and, and, and lines in the sand that we go, well, yes, I get it. Grace is this, but you can't do this. We love to do that because we can't stand the idea that there's going to be a Christian who doesn't appreciate grace or there's going to be a Christian who's just too attracted to sin and they're just going to keep doing that and they're just going to keep living that way. And we just don't think it's fair that they get to do it. So we want to kind of hang on to that. But Romans eleven six dispels any idea that you and I can affect grace in our life. And since it's through God's kindness, which is also means unmerited favor or grace, that's grace, then it's not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. If you and I start meddling in grace and we participate with our own righteousness or our own rule following or our own doing of anything, then we've robbed grace of what it actually is, free and undeserved. You can't get involved or else on some level, you take ownership and say, I deserve this on some level because I've earned it. It's a reward for how good I've been. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to use any of your righteousness whatsoever to, to go in with your loan application for grace and go, I'd like to show that I qual I mean, I've got a pretty good bank account of... Righteous deeds. I don't, you know, not like my neighbor. <laughs> pretty, pretty in debt with the sin, if you don't mind me saying so. I'm not a gossip, Lord, but you see everything. Third and finally is this. Accepting God's grace requires that I accept that it's always more rewarding to walk in grace than it is to run from sin. Always more rewarding to walk in grace than it is to run from sin. Now, here's probably the greatest lie that I've believed personally through my Christian journey, through my faith journey as a follower of Christ, is that the measure and quality of my faith, of my relationship with Jesus, was on some level determined by 
how successfully I carried out like my responsibility, my mandate, my calling, my obligation, um, my, my purpose, my, my inherent responsibility to live my life without sin, to get rid of sin in my life. I believed that the quality of my relationship with Christ, the intimacy that I had with Christ, like on some level I knew I was supposed to believe that the love of Christ was unconditional, but yet I felt like, listen, we're all good parents, I think. I hope you are. And I hope you're working to being a better parent. But we've all had those moments where our kids disappointed us and failed. And they did something that was really, it kind of shocked us how really out of bounds that was. <clears throat> and as a result, there was a distancing in our relationship. Caleb, my oldest, um, we were living in Arizona at the time. And uh, this is back when each text cost money. You got like a hundred free and that was incoming and outgoing. And then beyond that, it was like, whatever, 40 cents a text or something like that. And I got our Sprint or Verizon, I don't know who we had at the time. And there was $500 in text charges. And uh, that was Caleb's phone, by the way. <laughs> And this was now like 18, 19 years ago. So that was a significant, it's a significant amount of money now, but it was even more so then. And I remember being so angry because I was sort of impotent to fix that. I didn't have the $500 to pay that off. And I called Sprint or whoever it was, and I tried to plead the case, but they're like, the texts are listed on the bill. This is when they sent you the bill listing all that thick. It was like a phone book, right? And I was so angry. And Lisa just said, I think you need to like give your dad some space for a couple days. And I was just, I, I knew he didn't mean to do it, but I was like, how irresponsible. Caleb, you just, you, I can't afford for you to do this. These kind of mistakes cost, you don't have a job. You're 11 years old. What am I supposed to do with you? I can't put you to work. That's illegal. Then I'll have to pay for attorney and stuff. I can't. It's too late to take you back to the hospital. It's just, I'm stuck with your mistake. We feel like that's how it works with God. Especially when we can't seem to get our crap together and eradicate the same stupid sin, the one or two that plague us. It's not that those are the only sins. It's just that's the ones we can't get rid of. And so we think God is just waiting for us to get our crap together. Just shaking and saying, yeah, I love you. I mean, you're my child. You're my daughter. You're my son. Romans 5, 20 and 21 says this. If you, if you haven't picked up on it, Romans is a good place to hang out if you're wanting to study grace. When the law came into the picture, sin grew and grew. The more rules there were, the more we broke the rules. But wherever sin grew and spread, God's grace was there in fuller and greater measure. No matter how much sin crept in, 
there was always more grace. In the same way that sin reigned in the sphere of death, now grace reigns through God's restorative justice, eclipsing death, overshadowing it, overpowering it, and leading to eternal life through the anointed one, Jesus, our Lord, the liberating King. That means that you cannot outsin God's grace. You can't get ahead of God's grace with your disobedience. Where there is sin, God's grace abounds that much more. He goes further with his grace. The law of grace overshadows the law of death. Now, here's the thing. Grace does not weaken, does not diminish, does not recede, does not shrink back, does not get thinner, does not scale down. It doesn't falter. It doesn't uh, uh, reduce or diminish because of the frequency or the severity of our sin. You don't have the power to affect grace except to increase it. You don't have the power to affect grace. You can't thin it out, you can't repel it, you can't push it back. The only thing you can do is add more to your life. Now, here's where you say, I'm, I, I'm here, I'm not even arguing with you. I'm just having a really hard time wrapping my head around the fact that I'm not supposed to be doing anything. It's not that you're not supposed to be or that you can't. It's, not, it's that you're re not required to do anything. But will you do anything? And the answer is yes, you will. Because it's much better for us to walk in light than it is to try to escape darkness. Go out, find one of your friends that has a piece of farmland outside of Lincoln where there isn't a bunch of light pollution. And you go out where there's no artificial light and you stand in the middle of a field where it's pitch black and you try to escape the dark. Or turn on a flashlight and know that wherever you go, light now dispels the dark. You'll never escape the dark, so you walk in the light. And the light, you can't dispel dark because you don't glow. You're not good enough to glow. Your righteousness will never light you up enough to dispel the darkness, but grace does. So here's what it follows in chapter six, one through four. It says, so do you think we should then just continue sinning, which actually means literally to continue a lifestyle of sin, not, not continuing to sin as like you have to stop sinning. It means to just continue to do what you were doing before so that God will give us even more grace. So awesome, grace comes when I sin, so I should probably sin more. And then I get more grace. No! The reason is, is because we've died to our own sinful selves. When Christ died on the cross, we died with him. So how can then we continue to live 
why would we continue to live inside of death? That doesn't make any sense because we were resurrected with him. It says, did you forget that all of us became part of Christ when we were baptized? We shared in his death in our baptism. And when we were baptized, we were buried with Christ and shared in his death. So just as Christ was raised from the dead by the wonderful power of the Father, we also can live a new life. So when you are a follower of Christ, you no longer have to live in death. You don't have to stay in the grave. I don't know why you'd want to, but let me tell you this. Grace can get to the grave too. So if you want to stay in there and just bide your time until you die and just continue in a life of sin, which distances you from the benefits of walking in life, walking in grace, walking in the benefit of being a child of God, and you continue to do the things that bring death to relationship, death to your health, death to your mind, death to your spirit, death to your marriage, death to your finances. If you want to do that, grace is big enough to follow you around and keep you in right standing with God, but why in the hell would you want to? Right? And you... Oh my, Pastor Chris said a potty word. So, number one, the Bible says it, which I told my parents many times as a child. I can say whatever is in the Bible. I'm just quoting scripture. But if that's the kind of thing that gets under your skin, and you think that somehow that diminishes my right standing before God, this message is for you. Because I've never been good enough and I'll never be good enough and nothing I ever do warrants what God did for me. And so stop trying to escape the dark. You won't outrun sin, but you can start living in light and in life and by organic and natural distaste for that, you will begin to leave behind things that you were once passionately involved in. You will begin to walk away from, can I tell you this? Lisa never asked me to stop dating other women. <laughs> she never did. And I suppose that inside of America, I could date other women and remain married to her be a problematic marriage, but it's possible to do that. I've chosen Lisa above everyone else. So when you choose to walk in grace and walk in life, then you are choosing life over death. That's how you escape living a lifestyle of sin. Stop trying to stop yourself from being bad. Start trying to walk in the light, in the terms and conditions of grace. You were never responsible to earn your grace. But I'm going to tell you how you've been living under slavery is if you live under the lie, which I believe the enemy perpetuates in our life. And Pastor Dan's going to speak at the end of the month on how to make sure we don't fall back into the tricks of the enemy and that we continue to walk in freedom. Next week, I'm going to tell you how to live with other people's sins. You're like, this is good because there's some real <laughs> sinners in my life. That... <laughs> but this today is a good step towards learning how to live with your own sin 
Sin is, like I said in the beginning, sin is anything that's just not God. It's, it's not always rooted in this evil, perverted, nasty rebellion against God. It's just choosing thoughtlessly to do it your way instead of God's way. So sin is this amazingly wide spectrum. I want you to hear this from murder and molesting children all the way down to not doing the good thing you're supposed to do is on the spectrum of sin. And I want you to hear this. Grace was the response to every one of those. Every one of those. I know there's a documentary on now about Jeffrey Dahmer or a, a miniseries about him. And he did, I believe it was James Dobson, went to prison and he, according to all of this, he gave his life to Christ and was baptized. And there are people now that are just outraged and they're like, Christians making Jeffrey Dahmer their hero. I'm like, whoa, nobody, no Christians are making Jeffrey Dahmer their hero. But there might be some people who can wrap their mind around the fact that even Jeffrey Dahmer has access to the same grace by believing on Christ. And so I want you to hear this. Grace doesn't stop at a certain point and God goes, gee, not, not that. <laughs> grace reaches everywhere, past, present, and future, and there isn't a sin that grace isn't big enough to cover. And so whatever you've done or wherever you're doing, and whatever you will do, I want you to know grace already beat you there. So walk in the light of grace instead of under the umbrella and the weight of the dirt piled on you in the grave that we live in under the shame and the condemnation and the guilt and the fear of the penalty of sin, which isn't coming. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are completely free. You're completely free. The question is, what will you do now with your freedom? You're even free to go back and do the things you used to do. I don't know why we would. I don't know why we would want to. We're dumb sometimes. We choose the wrong thing a lot. But when you walk in grace, you know how to return to the light. You set the flashlight down, you walk off, and you do your dumb stuff in the dark. And then you go, I think I'd rather be in the light. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I apologize that we went long. I think you're maybe able to give me some grace for that. Dump, dump, pun intended. And I just want to ask you something. I want you to be honest too. I'm going to ask for you to be really, really, really honest. If, if we can, nobody, nobody looking around because I want everybody to feel a moment here. If you just say, I'm hearing it and, and I'm, I'm actually struggling to accept it because I'm fighting what I've been taught and what I've believed and it's so hard for me to get there. And I just want to let you know, I, I want to know the truth, but I'm, I'm really struggling to accept this and it's hard and I want to accept it. If that's you, you'll just be honest and say, yeah, I'm struggling. I, I'm fighting what I've been taught. A lot of people, yeah. And maybe someone else would say this. 
I have been walking around in a cloud and a shadow of guilt and shame and condemnation and frustration that I can't break this cycle of sin in my life. And I'll admit that I've been running in circles trying to run from sin and trying to get out of sin. And I've been measuring my success as a follower of Christ by whether I'm sinning or not instead of whether I'm walking in the freedom of grace. And I want to start walking in the freedom of grace and I want to get out from underneath the dark shadow of guilt, condemnation, and shame. It's actually controlling me. And actually is making me feel distant from my relationship with God. And I, I'm tired of that. I don't, want to measure, I don't want to measure my success by those things anymore. If that's you and you'll just say, yeah, that's me today. Would you throw your hand? Yeah, lots and lots. Well, God, I know there's a whole um, range of processing going on right now. Uh, there's some, God, who maybe even don't agree. And uh, that's not my argument to win with them. The word says what the word says. And if... I pray if anyone is struggling to accept this as truth, that they would go on a journey and really walk through your word and not try to make your word say what they need it to say, but just say what it says. And then we all get to decide what we have to do with that. But God, for those who are walking in guilt and condemnation and shame and distance from you because they feel like you're not accepting them. They feel like because of their sin, they're distant from you. Wash over all those fears, wash over all that guilt, wash over all that condemnation, God, with a, just a comforting washing of grace, just a pouring out of grace. Not that it hasn't always been there, God, but as we make ourselves available to that and we put ourselves kind of under the waterfall of your grace, we would leave it here. We would just leave it here on the floor we're not walking out under the guilt. We're not walking out under the weight. We're not walking out under the condemnation. We're no longer to let just the dirt of the grave stay on us, but we're going to climb out and begin to walk in the freedom that your salvation provides. We're going to, if we have to, recite these verses over and over in our life, one after the other, so we cover our mind in the truth of your word. And if there's anyone in here who hasn't begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, that even as we're sitting here right now, I pray in Jesus' name that they would say, God, here I am in all of my sin and all of who I am. And if you will cover me in your grace, I will believe on you and accept what you've done for me. I pray that they would even leave here, walk out to the connection kiosk, get that packet and begin to just learn how to walk through your word and learn how to talk with you and just begin that relationship of freedom that you're calling them to, that you sent Christ to go to the cross for. That's my prayer for all of us today. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen.